0: Well, good morning RCC family, how's everyone doing today? It is good to see you. If we haven't met before, my name is Tim and I'm one of the pastors here at this church and man, I'm glad that we have a warm space to come and worship our God together. And so if we haven't met, I would love to connect with you and I want to apologize, last week there were a couple that stayed around and I wasn't able to get to them and so uh, if that was you, please stick around again, I'd love to meet you today. And so today, we're going to talk a lot about trust. Who do you trust? What do you trust? And so I want to ask a couple questions up front that you can be kind of mulling through as we talk this morning. So number one, who do you trust to keep your money safe? You can think about that. Maybe maybe a bank, maybe some type of investment fund. Maybe you feel like your money is really only safe in some kind of material things, Uh, I I worked for a a wealthy man for a while that he didn't trust banks and he only trusted his money in material possessions and so he he made millions but he only put his money in things like vacation homes um, and and in antique cars. He was uh, kind of eccentric and so he purchased a lot of these classic antique cars and what he did was he filled up these warehouses with them and I worked in an office space for a while, it was a big office space that he took over um, so that he could put all of these cars, these new cars that he kept buying. There's a there's a car museum in Kearney that he refused to donate to uh, because he, he wanted all of these to be his special possession and he was uh, a little bit selfish with how he viewed his vehicles and so his trust was in cars, he didn't trust in anything else to take care of his money. And so number two, one I want to ask this morning is, who do you trust to take care of your life? Maybe medical personnel, maybe an employer providing long-term benefits, maybe an employer is a, is a bad example. Um, show of hands, has anyone ever participated in trust falls before? Trust falls? So, okay, a few of us. So they, they used to be a thing um, in the 90s, maybe, there was a, a group of people and they would come and they would do these seminars with businesses and with schools and these gurus would would come up and they would say hey who wants to volunteer to come up here on stage and fall backwards and allow a bunch of random strangers to catch you and prevent you from injury and uh, very few people would raise their hands obviously uh, but the guru would would insist and eventually some poor soul would come up on stage and fall backwards and just pray and hope that somebody was going to catch them and what they did uh, was they 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 did a study of these trust fall seminars and, and how all of that worked and whether it was actually effective in building team and all of that that they hoped that it was doing and what they found was quote while the trust fall may establish trust in the exercise there's little evidence that this trust spills over into day-to-day life so we don't do them anymore because they're not effective and they're terrifying Um, so (laughs) uh, the things that we did in the 90s it was a great time number three who do you trust with valuable information so Gallup does a poll every year I'm sure you've seen it of who we determine as um, United States citizens to be the most trustworthy professions and so they have a they have a rating of various professions including nurses and doctors and lawyers politicians educators and pastors and so for the last several years running nurses have been the top so they have something like a 79 percent approval rating um, in a recent poll almost 80 percent of people think that nurses are Very trustworthy, have a very high standard of ethics, and they are honest. People trust nurses even more than doctors. Elementary teachers are also very trustworthy as well. 64% of people think elementary teachers are very trustworthy. They have a high standard of ethics and honesty. You know who's really low on this list? Well, besides TV reporters, only 14% of people trust them. Um, But pastors, clergy... They have been in decline since they started doing this poll in the 70s. And in the 70s, the pastors had about a 60 to 65% approval rating, and it has gone down ever since. And now we are at 36%. And again, it goes down every year. And so instead of having 60% of people uh, that approve, there's now 60-plus percent of people who think that pastors are not trustworthy. In fact, 17% think that they have a low, or very low, standard of ethics and honesty. Ouch. Uh, So after hearing that, how much do you trust me to deliver the rest of this message? I probably should have asked a nurse uh, up here instead. But trust, it continues to decline. And every year, as measured by these Gallup polls, Various people are trusted less and less, and intriguingly, younger people are less trusting than older people. We, we had a, we had a person recently who wanted to tour our home. Uh, they saw that it was on the market and they called us and they said, "Hey, my grandparents used to live in this house. They didn't want to buy it. They just wanted to they just wanted to walk through it." and if, if my parents had received a similar call, my parents are fairly trusting people, they would have said, sure, come over. Are you hungry, can we get you anything? Uh, how, how about a soda or a tea? Uh, but when I heard that, I thought, what if this guy's a criminal? What, what, if, what if he's just wanting to come into our house and pillage and steal and destroy and I was not very trusting of this person? And the way that we trust has an impact on the way that we view God. Because if we're, if we're skeptical of everything and if we always look out for the next scam, our, our view of God can, can be a little bit standoffish at times. Like we wanna keep God at arm's length, like God, that's close enough. Don't get too close. S- kind of stay right right where you are, God. And and then we can sort of get into this mode where we, we struggle to give up our, our money to God, we struggle to trust him with our lives, because we're a little bit standoffish with him. And so today, our, our text for today is going to be an inspiration for all of us. It's a really sweet passage, and maybe a welcome reprieve from some of the, the heavier passages and debates that we have been going through in the Gospel of Mark recently. So if you're new with us, we're in this series called Tethered, where we stay connected to the truth. Of God's word. And so, uh, if you would, turn with me to Mark chapter 12, and we're going to start in verses 41 to 44. Mark chapter 12, 41 to 44, and this is what it says. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And now Luke's gospel actually records the same sequence of events as Mark does in Luke chapter 20 and 21. So we think that this is a chronological sequence of events here and so chronologically Jesus had just finished his exhausting question and answer time with the religious leaders the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees and then notice what he does immediately in verse 41 and he sat down man he's been standing for such a long time he's been battling he has been fighting Uh, he has been answering questions and then he sits down your physical posture, it, it affects your mood, doesn't it? The, the, there's a big difference between sitting down in your office chair or wherever you would work versus coming home and sitting down in your couch, right? There's, there's a sense of relief. It's like, oh, finally, I have some rest for my mind and for my body. And so Mark sets up this passage as a contrast, as a change of pace from the previous passages And he he notices that Jesus' physical posture has changed here. And so then what does Jesus do? Jesus starts watching these people putting their money into the offering box. And now if you're an untrusting person, you might think, whoa, Jesus, what are we doing here? We're we're creeping on these people, uh, looking at what they're doing, putting it in the offering. It might make you a little bit uncomfortable. And if that's you, I I totally get it. Um, But... Ha, have any of you ever people watched before? And, and maybe you haven't, but I think the Omaha Zoo is a fascinating place to uh, people watch. Not that I've done it. I know some of you think that's a, that's a weird thing. I have friends who do it. Um, but, but the truth is, Jesus is not the only one who is watching what is happening here. There There is sort of a scene and others are paying attention and they're either seeing how much is given or they're hearing how much is given. Because wealthy people, they had, they had money that was in coins and so there was gold coins, copper coins, silver and you would hear these coins sh- hit these offering boxes and the noise of that must have been really loud. Now, uh, when I was a kid, I used to get an allowance for chores and my dad's a pastor so he made me tithe um, I, <laughs> my, my, younger and brother, my younger brother and I, we weren't very cheerful givers um, but, but we loved making noise uh, we, we had quarters, and so that we had this old offering place that had the, the velvet bottom And then they had kind of the, the metal edge And so if you were really good and careful You could make the maximum amount of noise with your quarters By plucking the edge and avoiding the velvet metal And so that's what we would do uh, we would make as much noise as possible every time that would come by. My parents were so proud. Um, so, so anyway, maybe, maybe Jesus is just people watching here, but, but maybe something else is happening. So what do we know about Jesus? Jesus is concerned with our hearts. And so last week we talked about removing the flag that says, I rule this place, and replacing it with the flag that says, Jesus rules this place. So we're going to look at, uh, here real quick, Matthew six 21. It'll be up on the screen for you. Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So here's Jesus. He is literally sitting next to the temple treasury, and he is watching what people do with their monetary treasures. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And so he knows the motives of every individual and everyone who is going to give. He also knows what everyone earns. And he is watching the hearts of everyone who give of their own free will. So there there is something of of a spectacle that is happening. This is is Passover time. And so there's a lot of people. And some of them are very publicly giving vast sums of money as loud as they possibly could. uh, Like the seven-year-old version of Tim Cargis. And so this widow, she shows up. And she just quietly puts in two coins. And then Jesus, he compares these two. So the wealthy here are giving out of their abundance, but she gave everything that she had. $1,000 is nothing to someone who makes millions. It's just a drop in the bucket. And some of those, those wealthy people would have given vast, vast amounts of money. Versus what this widow gave. She gives two coins, which are barely worth anything. They would barely put a dent in the overall offering. They couldn't buy much. But that might as well have been a million dollars for her, her entire life savings since that was everything that she had. And so Jesus knows the hearts of every giver, and he knows that this sacrifice of this widow is way more significant than the sacrifice of any of the other people. Because here's a woman who is doing exactly what Jesus asked the rich man to do in Mark 10 to give it all away. But this widow does it without fanfare. She does it without being asked. And so Jesus, he pulls his disciples in and he says, look at this, look what is happening, look at this remarkable woman. So something to note here too is where this passage is placed in Mark, because it is, it is fairly interesting that previously, right before this in verses 38 to 40, Jesus says, beware of the scribes. We talked about that again last week. And what we didn't talk about last week was the first part of verse 40, which says, beware of the scribes who devour widows' houses. And then the, the, the very next section of Scripture talks about this poor widow. Perhaps this is a widow whose house was devoured by scribes. We don't know, but the contrast that Mark writes here is, is very interesting. And so God has a heart throughout Scripture to protect widows. If, if, you, if you pick a section of scripture, there's a good chance you're going to land on God caring for a widow. Naomi, Ruth, Elijah's widow. Psalm 68.5 says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God, he is so passionate about the plight of the widows that he writes these decrees in various places to ensure that these widows are taken care of. And he even offers these stern warnings in Deuteronomy chapter 27, 19. He says, cursed, cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow. And all the people shall say amen. So if anything, these scribes, knowing the scriptures, should have done everything possible to provide for the houses of these widows. And instead, they do the exact opposite and they devour the houses of Widows. They heap these guilt and, and, and these burdens and they steal from them instead of providing for them. And and we know that widows in this time period were especially vulnerable. A widow had just very little opportunity to earn a wage. They could easily become very poor. And so Jesus, the Son of God, behaves exactly like God the Father in taking care of widows. We have a great example of this in Luke chapter seven. So in in verses 11 to 17, there's a poor widow who is experiencing grief. Obviously, she has lost her husband at some point, but then Jesus finds them at a funeral procession, and this widow has just lost her son. And this is her only son. So imagine this poor woman who is losing these men that are close to her. And so without husband, without son, without really a a means and a source of income this son could have grown up, grown up to help provide for her and so what does Jesus do he raises the son from the dead and he does exactly the opposite of what the scribes do he provides for this widow's house instead of devouring the widow's house and so in our passage today Jesus is faced with a different widow and obviously it is tragic knowing this, this woman has lost her husband at some point. But on top of this grief that she is facing, she also has to deal with the struggle of providing for herself. She lacks a steady stream of income, and no one would blame her if she shows up at church and just puts in one of her two coins. No one would blame her if she kept both of them. No one would blame her if she said, you know what, today, I don't want to come they're just gonna make me feel worse. They're just gonna make me feel even more guilty. And no one would blame her if she just decided, I'm just gonna crumble up on the ground in despair. My life is in shambles, everything is ruined, and I'm done, I'm gonna give up. No one would blame her if she did any of those things. But instead, she trusts God with everything that she has. Remember our questions at the beginning? Who did this woman trust with her finances? God who did this woman trust with her life? Again, she she has nothing else. She has no plan for her next meal. She trusted God to provide. Man, what faith that is. God has a history of meeting people right where they are, right in the middle of their desperation. And it was as if this widow said, God, today all I have left is this, these two coins, and I, I know it's not much, I don't have anything else, but all I have today is yours. You can take my life. You can do whatever you want. I surrender everything to you. And so what does Jesus do here? What does God do with her? We have no idea. Mark leaves us hanging. And and Luke's account, it does the exact same thing. Don't you want to know? Don't we want to know what happens? We want to know the next part of the story. Why don't we know? Why don't we see Jesus just fix her problem? Because that's why God exists, right? To fix our problems. Have you ever thought, man, my life is ruined. My life is in shambles right now. God must be mad at me. Or, or you think, I only have worth in God's eyes if all of these things in my life that I think are important are going really well. When, when life is up and to the right, I'm in good standing with God, but when it is down, I'm not. Well, well here's this woman who has been commended by Jesus for giving it all to God, despite the fact that her life is in shambles. So even so, wouldn't it be nice to, to read what happens next? Wouldn't it be nice to know what happens to this widow? Why don't we know? Matthew 6, 1-4 says this. This will be up on the screen for you. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. is what Jesus says and knowing this verse how weird would it have been if right after the widow gives her coin Jesus shows up toots his trumpet in the synagogue just like the verse says and then gives her a lifetime supply of bread and fish ding 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 we have a winner you are the hundredth person to put your offering in the offering plate congratulations here is your reward you have a lifetime supply of bread and fish I mean we know that Jesus is good at coming up with mass quantities of bread and fish right right He's also demonstrated that he is willing to provide for widows already. So who cares if you show off a little bit here? Maybe we don't know what happened to her because Jesus didn't want us to know. Maybe he takes care of her in secret, like it says in Matthew six. And it's likely that Jesus does many miracles. He helps many people that are not recorded in scripture. In fact. In the Gospel of John, it says that if everything Jesus did was written down, we wouldn't have enough books in the world to contain all of that information. So maybe maybe he does take care of her in secret. Or maybe we don't know what happened to her because Jesus wanted us to, wanted us to focus on something else. Maybe Jesus wants us to focus on the trust that she displayed here. Maybe he wanted us to focus on the generosity that she demonstrated. Maybe you wanted us to focus on her sacrifice. Have, have you ever done something? You don't have to raise your hand for this. Have you ever done something for God and then you, you kind of secretly hold your hand out? Like, okay, God, look what I did. Um, cough it up, where's the reward? It's, it's like this spiritual formula that, that we have in our brains that says A plus B equals C. If I do this thing and, and I know that God wants me to do it, then I will get rewarded from him. I should receive something from God. And so if Jesus, if he provides for this woman immediately after she deposits her two coins, we would likely focus on that. We would focus on what God did there. And not only that, we would have this false idea of God, this false understanding of giving, in that God instantly rewards us right after we give. And so there's a a famous televangelist, uh, Benny Hahn, who used this passage to promote a false prosperity gospel. And he said, quote, by placing two seemingly insignificant coins in the treasury box, she secured the future for herself and her loved ones, which is prosperity, end quote. That's just not in the text. And we don't know if any of her loved ones prospered in the future. We don't even know if she had future loved ones. We don't know if she prospered. For all we know, she could have died that same day of starvation. Her last deed on earth could have been placing those two coins in the offering and then entering into the kingdom of heaven, arriving to well done, good and faithful servant. We just don't know. And I think for good reason, we don't know. So what do we know? Here are three things that I think that we can take away from this. Number one, she trusted God. This poor widow was at the end of her line. Her husband had died. She must not have had any family to help her. And so what does she do? She goes to church. Man, it's hard to pick yourself up and come to church by yourself when you're in pain, isn't it? Especially when you're dealing with something really hard. But this woman finds her way to the synagogue, and then freely of her own will, she puts in every last cent that she has. Man, that's so much trust. It's like saying, God, I I know if it's your will, you can provide for me, but God, I'm all in. On you, I'm not, I'm not one foot in and one foot out. I, I'm not tiptoeing around. I am all in. I trust you with my money. I trust you with my life. I trust you more than I trust myself. I trust you more than anyone else. Jeremiah seventeen seven says, Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Man, God loves it when we honor him with our trust. Number two, Jesus is more interested here in spiritual bankruptcy than in financial bankruptcy. If Jesus here was, was wanting to teach us on financial gain, he could have pointed out to one of these other big donors and said, wow, look at this guy. He just sold half of his sheep so that he could have an even bigger plot of land, so that he could bring in even more sheep and have even more money. And then look what he did. He still shows up, and he is given some coins in church. Good job, dude. Instead, Jesus sees the heart, and he knows that some of these people are big givers with massive bank accounts, but they are spiritually bankrupt. Their, their faith account is completely empty. They're just kind of going through the motions. They don't really care about God. They care about the perception of others. They care about the well-being of their family and the way that they look in the eyes of the other people. They want people to see them. They're glad that people are watching them pour their money into the offering. They want an audience. They want people to say, good work. And so Jesus knows the dollar amounts of every person every bank account, and he's watching to see what they'll do. And this widow comes in, and her bank account said two, two coins, which barely made a penny, as Mark says in his account. Financially, this woman is a wreck. She's got no 401K. She has no savings, no emergency fund, no three to five months of savings put away for a rainy day, no real estate, no stock holdings, nothing. Nothing. And Jesus doesn't stop her and say, hey, um, maybe you should invest this in a mutual fund instead of putting this in the offering today. Jesus doesn't stop her and say, why don't you, instead of doing this, go and buy some food? Instead, Jesus commends her. He says, she has put in more than any of these others. These others are feeling proud, they're high and mighty. And here's this widow who is feeling low, she's been humbled humiliated by life. She's beaten down by circumstances. And Jesus, he picks her up and he says, look at her. Don't look at these others. Look at her. She's given more than anyone else. And that leads us to number three. Jesus saw her. Jesus tends to notice those that others miss, doesn't he? Again, there's lots of people here at Passover in Jerusalem. This is a, a who's who of people arriving. There's, there's noble people, wealthy people, famous people, lot, long lost relatives. No one is looking at this woman. She has no power, she has no connections. She obviously has no money. She probably didn't have the nicest clothes, but Jesus sees her. Not only does he see her, she knows, he knows what is going on in her life. He knows that this is it for her. This is all she has left. He knows that she's a widow. He he knows the circumstances of her life and he sees her. And man, I don't know about you, but that is so encouraging to me. Maybe you came in here today weighed down and life feels really heavy. Maybe your bank account's a little low. Maybe your health account is a little low. Maybe your bank account is low because your health account is low maybe you've lost someone or you've lost something and you felt like I can barely make it to church today it was hard for me even to get here and this is encouraging to me that God sees you God sees what you're going through he sees the areas that you are sacrificing he sees you and sometimes we go through these hard seasons and we kind of look around and we're like God Do you see this? Do you see what is happening around me? Like, I'm really struggling here, I'm in a bad way. No one is acknowledging how hard my life is right now, but God, it's hard. I'm not a complainer, God, but this is really hard. And if that's you, God sees you. He knows what is happening in your life. And even if nothing positive changes, it's comforting to know that God is seeing Jesus doesn't always change our circumstances, but he is always worth following. So the question is, where do we put our trust? Do we trust him? Deep trials oftentimes are opportunities for deep trust. And our deep trials, they often reveal who or what we trust. When we fall down, who do we trust to pick us up? This widow trusted God. She was ready. She said, either I'm going to die or you're going to provide for me. Either way, this is all I've got. This is the last of my income. Everything I have is yours, including my life. Take it all. So the Gospel of Mark, it highlights this this sweet contrast between the religious leaders and this widow. And again, the hinge of this comparison starts with, and he sat down. His interaction Jesus' interaction with the religious leaders was intense. These people are puffed up with knowledge and with pride. They thought they knew everything. They thought they knew more than God. Here is the second person of the Trinity, God the Son. He's literally in front of them. And they questioned his ability to understand Scripture. They didn't trust God. And then here's a contrast on the other side of the coin is this widow, this poor woman who lost everything, but still trusted God and gave him everything. So much humility, so much faith in a simple act of giving. And Jesus knows our hearts. He he cares about the direction of our hearts. He cares about when our hearts are desiring things that they shouldn't desire. And the religious leaders had prideful, selfish hearts. The wealthy people with large sums of money had prideful, prideful, kind of show-off hearts. But this widow had a gentle and humble heart as she gave everything. You know how that reminds us of? Jesus. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 29, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is humble and gentle in heart, and he invites us to come. Are you weary? Are you carrying heavy burdens? Jesus is offering to give us rest and your mind might start to question, okay, what about food? What about clothes? What about this? What about that? The widow clearly needs more than rest here, right? Matthew 6:25 to 26 says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Jesus isn't blind. He sees her. He knows her needs. He knows that she needs rest for her weary soul and rest from her heavy burdens. So what are you carrying in here today? Jesus sees you. He gave everything for you. He emptied the bank account of his physical life on the cross. And if you follow him even today, he is offering to give us rest, to sit down with him. And doesn't that sound good? So as I pray, I want to encourage you to, to pray quietly with me. As Jesus offers to give us rest, to take heavy burdens. You can trust him. We're gonna trust fall back into his loving arms with the cares of our world. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, we praise you that you see us. Jesus, we praise you that you have given everything for us. And, and Jesus, we know how hard it is to trust. God, we, we trust less and less every year. And it seems like there are fewer and fewer people that that stand up, that can hold up to this trust. And but we thank you that you are always, always trustworthy. And that you didn't hold anything back. You gave everything so that we could experience you so that we could experience new life in you, so that we could trust. And so God, as as we wrestle with all of the burdens, God, with all of the the heavy things that we have on our hearts and on our minds, God, I pray that you lift those off of us. God, will you take these burdens that we are shouldering. God, we can't can't handle them anymore. We've been wrestling with them for a long time, and, and now we're done. God, we give up, we surrender. We surrender this to you, knowing that you can handle this better than we can. And so God, I pray that you'll, you'll give us relief. God, that, that you'll help us to remember that you see us. God, I thank you that, that we can trust you in all of these things. And God, as, as we contemplate what you have for us today, God, I pray that you'll reveal those things that we need to give to you now. We need to give up to you. We need to give in to you we need to give everything to you help us to see what those are i pray this in jesus name.